0: Hi, and welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. I am Alison, and today I'm really excited to have with me uh, Joshua Spodek. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, glad to be here. Fantastic to have you. So um, for those of you who don't know Josh, I'm just going to give a really quick bio because he's a, a very impressive, interesting person. So, um, Josh holds a PhD in physics. He has an MBA. He is a three-time TEDx speaker. He's a number one best-selling author. He's host of the award-winning Leadership and the Environment podcast. He's a professor and coach of entrepreneurship and leadership at NYU and Columbia Business School. Um, And there's more. He's run six marathons, rode one, swam across the Hudson River twice. Has done over 155,000 burpees, written over 3,700 blog posts. Has taken over 500 cold showers. He hasn't flown by choice since March 2016. Has picked up at least one piece of street trash per day since April 2017, and takes over a year to produce a load of garbage. Um, which is just, I basically want to say like, congratulations on being very impressive, Josh.
1: <laughs> very interesting person. <laughs> Thank you. I, it's, uh, it's kind of funny to hear all that. Um, it was over a long period of time. The later stuff is, I feel like it's not an achievement so much as just living by my values. And if that's not like how everyone else lives, I think that's just looking at the past and the future. I think it's, I don't think we're going to sustain how much garbage we all produce on average for very long so I think soon it'll take everyone two years to fill up a little of garbage for example.
0: yeah, few doesn't feel that impressive anymore it's just your way of life
1: Yeah actually it's when I first challenged myself to go without packaged food for a week, I thought it would be impossible and I thought it would be horrible I, you know I just thought variety convenience it would take me longer I didn't know how to cook and yeah it did take me a couple months to get the hang of it but now well, I look at packaged food. I don't even call it food anymore. I call it doof, which is food backward. And it's, it, it's, 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 what's the opposite of appetizing, unappetizing? It's disgusting. It's like when I go to restaurants, I'll meet someone at a restaurant if I have to, but I won't eat. It, I mean, some I will, but it's, when the main pleasure is coming from salt, sugar, fat, or convenience, I feel like someone's trying to trick me. I feel like someone's trying to make themselves rich. And if if I end up obese or diabetic as a result, they're like, fine. Um, So Josh, I wonder
0: if I can just uh, explain how we met, because I think it's a bit of a um, random serendipitous kind of uh, event. And also it's kind of in the spirit of the topic of conversation that I want to have with you today, which Mm -hmm. is around adventure. And um, then we've never met
1: in person, it's only online.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I know, I know, it's it's cool, it's amazing. The internet can bring like people from different continents together with shared interests and yeah, have an interesting outcome, such as this podcast. So, yeah, please feel free to like interrupt or interject at any point, but just briefly so when lockdown first started, I started writing an Instagram diary just on my experiences because I thought this is, you know, something brand new in the world history and my personal history. And I really wanted to capture what was going on in my thoughts and feelings at that time. And I tagged you in one of my posts, which was, I was working from home and I was really struggling with Sitting at my desk for so long, so every hour on the hour, I'd get up and do some burpees or um, press ups. And I, I tagged you because I'd heard of you from another podcast, and your idea of this, um, the SIDsha, the self-imposed daily challenging healthy activity. And I just thought, wouldn't it be really interesting if instead of doing it daily, you did it hourly, and that helped you to build up your, you know, the the reps of the self-discipline. And you replied and said, oh, I'm doing this webinar. Would you like to come along? And I did. The webinar was excellent, all about um, self-discipline in lockdown. And then you wrote to me saying, here's the link of the webinar. And you asked me a few questions, which then invited me to explain, like, how I found it, what I was thinking. You also invited me to watch your TED talk and told me what you thought. And that kind of opened up an email exchange between the both of us. And then at one point you were like, so do you want to meet via Zoom? At which point I was like, oh my God, no, yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, yeah, we ended up having like a semi-regular just chat. I think you called it like supportive and non-judgmental conversation about all sorts of things. And I was amazed that, I guess, you found me interesting enough to spend your time on or, you know, you got as much out of the conversation as I did. And then eventually he said, would you want to try? I'm looking to branch off my podcast. And uh, I said yes, even though every fiber of my being screamed no. But I knew with the opportunity like that, it would, I would be foolish to, to turn it down. And uh, here we are today with you as my first guest. So I just thought it was wonderfully serendipitous and adventurous. And, you know, we've never even left our, our houses. We're just doing it in front of a laptop.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I'm glad to hear some of the background from before the first contact because I didn't know the contact. And I've, how many Instagram posts do I have? Like 15? I I don't really use Instagram. And it it happened to be just before that podcast, the the webinar. And, you know, I get a lot of people contacting me and most of them are asking abstract questions that they don't really care about the answer for. They're not really going to, like, they're just kind of wondering, what do you do about toothbrushes? They don't, they're not going to change, they're not interested in changing, they're not interested in doing anything. And you didn't have that tone. There's some who contact me and it sounds like they really do want to do something. And they, you know, everybody cares. The question is not whether they care or not. The question is whether the, tra- the caring translates into changing behavior. And you had that feel about you of the people who do. And you did attend the, the webinar. And then we got talking and you shared with me some of your writing and, you know, you didn't have to do that. So you put yourself out there. And then yeah. And I give you some advice and like you use the advice. Cause I do a lot of coaching for most of my coaching is for executives and business people, and entrepreneurs. And sometimes it's people come to me for life coaching. And I just threw some stuff out there that some people do and some people don't. And you came back and you're like, Oh, it really improved my relationship with my boyfriend. I was like, Oh, she's really doing it. And not just casually. It's like with someone you care about. And it sounded like it worked very well. And you came back and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Then or one of, my, one of my strategies in my podcast when I started, I, I didn't know this when I started it, but was as I learned that my guests really enjoy the experience and because they enjoy the experience, I can confidently go to new potential guests and say, would you like to be a guest? And so I get these really amazing guests. I want to help others reach people that they consider amazing guests and help them share an environmental value and act on it so that they like it, and so it spreads to the world. Because I'm only gonna reach so many people, but I think everybody, I think pretty much everyone on the planet would prefer cleaner air, cleaner water, and cleaner land than we've got. And we're, by the numbers, the greenhouse emissions are going up, the plastic is going up, the mercury is going up, the deforestation is increasing, the fires are increasing. Everyone wants it to decrease, and we're all decreasing. it. We don't have many role models, and, you had, an, it seemed to me that you like the communities that you're in and that you like doing things. And so I floated the idea of, would you like to, you know, leadership in the environment Sweden just started, leadership in the environment Italy is about to start. And would you like to do, you know, would you like to become a peer, maybe even a leader in your community to do it by helping them live more sustainably? And you went for it. And you, you, you clearly were nervous, but you also had an enthusiasm and it sounded like you that that's not a foreign thing for you that you are nervous, but nonetheless saying yes. Did I read you right? Yeah, very much so. It's a, it's a, like a reluctant hell yes. <laughs> yeah. And then now, since you're not the first, I've, I've walked several people through the process of how to learn the skills of podcasting, how to learn the skills guests and and you know there's a technique at the core of it that I think you're going to do with me in a minute and so people can hear it but it's also what I talk about my first TEDx talk. So there's some training and Andreas at, in Sweden I was kind of putting together this training a bit with him but then by the time it was with you, I've done it a few times and I, I think you, had, you were nervous at each stage but each stage I think wasn't too you can tell me better than I can it, it seemed like you enjoy the challenges and grew from it.
0: Yeah, very much so. I think, like, I even tried to start my own podcast before just because I think it's a really good way of connecting with people. But there's something about having that accountability and going back to someone and, you know, sharing and having that shared goal with them that makes you do more than you can do by yourself. So I'm really, really grateful. Um, for this opportunity, yeah, and also
1: for the for those out there thinking maybe I'll do it, but I'm scared of like. So, that Allison, I hope I don't make you blush, but but like just before this, it was we connected on my Zoom link, and I was like, no, no, we got to do it yours. And then like the Zoom link was a problem. I Everything's mean, all, all these little um snafus that keep coming up. But you just you do the snafus, and then then eventually you get the hang of it. Yeah. So let the record show that she's like smiling and nodding yes. <laughs> you hear that. Um, So I think like
0: this has been a bit of an adventure for me, you know, starting a podcast and clearly your bio shows that you uh, like adventure, you like achievements as well. And I wonder if we can just talk a bit about that. And like my my definition of adventure, I think it can be things that are not necessarily usual, maybe outside of your routine. It doesn't have to be big. It can be, you know, as small as like exploring a new place in your neighborhood. Or it can be huge, something that takes a lot of time, like traveling or doing a marathon. And I wonder what your definition of adventure is. What do you think of When uh, you say, you know, living an adventurous life, what does that mean for you?
1: So I want to clarify one thing before answering that, that you talk about adventure and achievement. And I do feel that it's been a lot of adventure and achievement in my life. There's been a big shift somewhere around maybe 10, 15 years ago, where before that, it was much more about achievement and me. After that it was much more about service to others. So in the beginning, like running a marathon, it's like, can I do that? But starting a podcast is for the listeners and for the guests. It's for me, it's actually a lot of work. It's not like I get pleasure out of it, but there's an emotional reward from service. So it's much more about service to others now. Since you asked about adventure, adventure is like when you find yourself in a situation where the tools you have around you don't seem enough to get you through. So it could be that you're in the wilderness and you have to get home, or it could be you're in a social situation where you have to use your wits or, or your social skills to get out of it. It could be... I don't know, I mean, I guess it could be from reading or, or watching movies of, of others adventures, you might get a thrill in the observing of it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, here's a big change for me is that since it's not flying, an easy way to get adventure is you pay someone to take you to a place you've never been before. Now, usually everyone where you go is also on Facebook and there's a guidebook to figure things out. So it's not, that doesn't seem as adventurous. So now I'm trying to, next week I wanna ride my bike to my mom's house, which is hundred miles away. And I've ridden 100 miles in a day, but that was in the 80s. The last time I did that was a long time ago. And I've gotten a lot older, so the body isn't as strong as it used to be. And then I don't know the route, and it's not an easy – I mean, I can go on, on, online and find a map and, and map it out. But then I don't like having – I'm not going to ride with my with like a, a digital map right in front of me. So I still if – I'm, if I'm stopping and starting, I, you know, all, the, all these little details that i got to figure out. And I had to get the bike tuned up and, and sized and all this stuff because I haven't ridden – in a long time. And so I got, I've been, after not riding a bike for a long, long time, I got to ramp back up again into getting back into it. And there's a bit of, there's an adventure there that's to me as, as it's not as great as the greatest adventures I've had, like going to North Korea, that was a pretty big adventure because it's such a different context, but actually it's, it's kind of on par. There's another adventure. There's a whole middle, a whole bunch of middle steps, but like I learned to sail. That's interesting to be out on the water is a very different experience than being on the land. And I didn't grow up sailing. I, in fact, I, I, I associated sailing with like the Kennedys. I thought it was like a, an Big upper peoples. crust thing. And it yeah. turns out relative to flying, it's, it's much cheaper. And getting on the water is, I can be a few miles from my apartment where I'm now and when I'm on the water, it's a, it's a different world. The time scales are different. The, the pace is different. The, the motion is different. Everything, when I was taking lessons, I'd go out there and I might be very stressed Once you get on the boat, everything goes away. It's just you and the boat and the water and the wind and the the other people in the boat. So that's adventure, but then that led me to, why I didn't take the lessons just for the fun of it. I wanted, it was practical because I wanted to get off of North America. And if I'm not flying, I'm not gonna take a cruiser, a cruise boat, then sailing, you got sailing. So this is by the way, before Greta sailed across and, I wanted to, I haven't yet gotten the chance. I was supposed to sail across the Atlantic this spring, but COVID. So there, I mean, I haven't yet had the adventure of sailing across the Atlantic and then later across the Pacific, I hope to get to do, but I have had the adventure of, of meeting to go from taking lessons in, in New York Harbor, which is very shielded from ocean waves. It's, it's very placid, very comfortable. I mean, you can get waves, but not serious. And the wind isn't that high. So I have to meet other people. So I met um, a friend of mine, John Riley, who's a guest on my podcast. She's won the America's Cup. She's, I think one maybe going around the world and she invited me out to the school for sailing where she teaches elite sailors. Like, and through her, I met an Olympic gold medalist who also won the CrossFit Games. Researching her, I learned that there's, the CrossFit Games is vaguely like the Olympics except one of the things about it, you don't know what the events are until you get there. So I was researching her to have you know more interesting conversation on the podcast. And i would never seen this before. They have a, a, one of the events in, I think 2018, the year that she won, the event was to row on a rowing machine, indoor rowing machine, a marathon. So 42 kilometers on a rowing machine, 26 miles on a rowing machine. I have a rowing machine and I like it. And I noticed it has a little pre-programmed in like to row a marathon. And I thought, oh, a funny little joke, no one does that. <laughs> and I saw people doing that, I was like, I thought, I wonder if I could do that. And so there's lots of middle steps of rowing a half marathon, but eventually I rode a marathon one day. That is an adventure. Mm. I didn't leave my apartment. First of all, there's all these people that I met in the middle steps. But I, I put to you that rowing that marathon was as great an adventure as anything else that I've done. It didn't cost me anything. I mean, I had the rowing machine. The rowing machine is like most things I bought used off of Craigslist. And that is an adventure that I value, because it came from inside. So I guess I'm hinting at there's a big, adventure is very important to me. Not flying, I believed would deprive me of adventure. What I found is that when adventure is something I passively get by paying someone, it, in my experience has actually deprived me of adventure. And then when I realize the only way I'm gonna get it is I have to create it, then I do create it. I develop the skills to create adventure. That led me to realize that plus the other things that I, I thought food, unpa- not getting packaged food would decrease my variety. And I thought it would make things less convenient. And then you learn the skills. Lack of variety doesn't come from lack of packaging. It comes from lack of knowing how to cook. Mm. Same with packaged food doesn't save time. Not knowing how to cook loses time. So not, like this morning before I breakfast, I, I cooked my famous no packaging vegetable stew for today. Actually, I, it'll blast me for half a week. And it's just like, I. I did it between exercises because I've done it enough times. And what I've learned is that the human emotional system hasn't changed recently. People from back before for, I mean, humans have been human for a couple hundred thousand years, as far as I know. And the ones in the past, they also had, pick an emotion. They also felt that emotion, joy, discovery, community, connection, satisfaction, adventure, all these things they didn't, I can't imagine that they had the circuitry for it without actually having it. And not only would they've had it, but they, it would have helped save their lives. It would have helped them live because they didn't have, you know, they couldn't go to the store and buy food. So they'd have something to drive them to get the food and, and to know what food to like. They'd have to enjoy it maximally. I think that in today's world, we have less emotional experience because we want, we expect to get it from buying it. So I think like, or just thinking on a shorter time scale, I think that if, pick your luminary, Buddha, Jesus, Lao Tzu, Plato. If they were alive today, I don't think that they would say, I thought I knew happiness, but now with an iPod, now I can be happy. Now I, that's what I was missing. (laughs) I think that they would say more distraction. I know it will make me happy. It's the process that I've developed. It's family, it's relationships. It's, you know, the satisfaction of a job well done. I don't know. You know, you have to ask you have to read, Buddha stuff, I guess, to get it in in his way. But I think that they had just as much access to what we all want in life, but they were not held back by having to pay for it. They weren't held back by it released greenhouse gases that maybe, or other sorts of pollution that maybe a hundred years ago, or even 20 years ago, people could have doubted, oh, could we really fill the oceans with plastic? That's not possible. Well, we're doing it. So, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. But I think that I'm getting closer to these luminaries this way. I'm getting closer to the people who are far away. I'm, I'm also spending more time with my family, despite doing the opposite of what the system that I grew up in said. But I think the system was doing it for, was telling me that for the, it, not for me, for its benefit, not for my benefit. It's so
0: refreshing and I guess new to me to hear that. I think the, the dominant narrative in society is definitely around going to far flung exotic places and and that's your travel that's your adventure and to hear you talk about how you experience adventure from something that other people might think of as you know imposing constraints upon yourself not flying but actually finding more adventure through the constraint and it maximizing your adventure and even having an adventure to go on the adventure you know like you were saying the adventure is sailing but actually you were meeting other people and that in itself was interesting and exciting like I think that's a really um, I've not heard many people hold that view or, or espouse that narrative and that's something that I am trying to channel a bit more but I guess one of the things that makes me feel a bit anxious is that you are quite um an extreme person you know you have your values and you really live by them and when you say i'm not gonna fly you you mean i'm you know no more flights and well i I didn't
1: i i didn't say that i myself to go for one year without flying it was a couple months into that year it was a couple months into that year that i found that i liked it i when i started i thought a year seemed like I thought it was going to be the worst year of my life. I thought it was going to suck. I thought it was going to be horrible. I knew when I started the day 366, I'd be on a flight. The experience changed that. The, the term extreme is weird to me because I haven't murdered anyone, but no one says that's I'm extreme on that. It's an absolute zero. You, there's no I can't go to any lower number. It's zero. I've never used heroin. I'm, am I an extreme non-heroin user? Should I be moderate on that? Should mm-hmm. I be moderate murderer? because the median murder is probably one, maybe two, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, but I'm not going to do it. Am I extreme? And my physics background makes it beautiful to me that if I turn on a light switch or an air conditioner or drive a car, that energy is coming from somewhere. And that's conservation of energy. I think it's, it's a, one of the most beautiful parts of nature. And that means fossil fuels are being burned. And even if you're in some place that's, that's solar and so forth, you're still... Someone's on the receiving end of that. And I don't think that's, I don't think stewardship, I don't think taking into account how my behavior affects others deprives me of anything. On the contrary, it connects me with people. And so am I extremely, am I extreme in that I pay attention to how my behavior affects others? It would be, it would be kind of interesting to live in a world where I could snap my fingers and all my pollution would just turn into rainbows and unicorn. I don't live in that world. And I don't view the world that I live in as worse for it being working the way that it works. I think it's it's beautiful. And if that means, if my protecting that beauty, stewarding that beauty for others means that I don't see Machu Picchu, that doesn't bother me anymore. It I thought it would. On the contrary, it makes me more connected to the people who are there. And I also, po- I also realized that Machu Picchu, how many things are there in the world that are like Machu Picchu? You know, there's Eiffel Tower and the Great Wall of China and there's like all these beautiful Angel Falls and Antarctica and more than anyone can possibly see in a lifetime. So either you're going to crave and feel what you're missing or at some point you realize I can't see it all. And once you realize you can't see it all, once I realized that I couldn't see it all, I maximally enjoy what I can see. And then I don't have to see anything because whatever I am seeing, I can enjoy maximally. And when, my, when I ride to my mom's house on the bike, so I have to correct something you said. You said you don't hear people saying this, but I heard people say it's not the destination, it's the journey all the time. Yeah. Now, when you say to them, well, how about bike camping instead of flying somewhere, then suddenly it goes out the window. They give it lip service, but if they actually live by that, they find the more that they live by that, I believe that the more that they find it is the journey, not the destination, and that's wonderful. I, it's like part of why I'm so—I don't know if I sound animated, but partly why I'm—I I'm sound like so into this—is that I was so the opposite. I, I, you know, what I often say, like my my freezer always had ice cream in it. My cupboard—I'm looking at it now—always had these pretzels with the flavor on them that it would stick to your fingers, the, all that stuff, and. I thought that was, I thought i lived in the best of times because Ben and Jerry's. (laughs) And, you know, when you're eating Ben and Jerry's, if someone offers you an apple, the apple tastes bland in comparison. If you lay off the Ben and Jerry's long enough, if once I laid off the Ben and Jerry's long enough, when I tasted the apple, it was eventually became sweeter. The sensation of sweetness from an apple for me now is greater than the sensation of sweetness from Ben and Jerry's. That's actually cloyingly disgusting now. And every apple tastes different. It's weird. This is an interesting thing about apples. You give me a wine stop apple, and I'm like, oh, this is, that's an apple. And they give me a, uh, um, a Macintosh, and I'm like, that's really, that's apple flavor. They're all different, and they all have that intrinsic apple flavor, and yet they're all different. And I'm, I'm, I never realized how much more flavor there was for me, how much more nuance and subtlety there was, not just between species, but between individual apples. Same with, you know, broccoli tastes better than Doritos if you go long enough without the Doritos. And for most of my life, I would just eat the Doritos. But now there may not be enough money in the world to get me to eat a Twinkie. Below, below a certain amount, it's not worth it for me. And above a certain amount, it makes a bigger statement not to eat it, to turn on the money. And it makes it more worth it not to do it. So it's just disgusting. You, I guess if you like put the gun to someone else's head and said, I'm gonna kill this person if you don't eat that Twinkie, all right, maybe I'd eat it then. <laughs> but I hope no one does that. Avoid being a moderate murderer through not eating and Twinkie. Yeah. Then I'd be moderate. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ah, thank you. Now I'm not so extreme on my non murder <laughs> Oh, now I have to be very careful because people interpret things to, um, I'm not trying to equate murder with flying. I'm just saying that there are things that you can be extreme, that people can like, you can be at the, at the most extreme end of it. And it's not known view viewers as extreme. To say it's extreme is like a, a statement of, of one's own values. Yes. People in the right wing of a political party don't think they're on the right wing. They think they're the way they belong. They don't think they're extreme. People on the left don't think they're extreme either. Everybody thinks they're balanced, as do I.
0: And probably me using that terminology is a reflection of my values, which is more more around that balanced moderation. But certainly talking to you and through- uh... I'm balanced and moderate.
1: Yeah, to me, once every two years throwing out garbage is a lot. And yeah. I hope to bring- That down because it's going to last for hundreds of years in landfill, and I that's my responsibility. My that, like, it does my choice to buy those things. I don't like litter in my world that other people chose, so I don't want to do it to others. That's just the golden rule. Well, I guess talking to you
0: and listening to your message has helped me to open up a new definition then of balanced and moderate, and one that I had never really considered before through through exactly what you're saying which is these supposed constraints or um different lifestyles um I wonder if I could just ask you one more quick question because I am before we go on to the more environmental part Uh of the podcast which is you talk a lot about uh, living in line with your values and I wonder if there is anything that you do at the moment where you are trying to pull yourself more in line with your values or you recognize that you are not quite living in line with your values. So, for example, one of my values is health and I think it's really important to eat healthily, to be healthy, to age healthily. And yet, you know, I am the person who has my Ben and Jerry's in the freezer and I am trying to cut down on it but that that's a process of me of moving towards living in line more of those values. Is there anything that you're still working on or that you found particularly difficult to move
1: towards? Well, you know, there's all these people around me. I'm increasingly, as you'll find in your podcast, I'm increasingly connecting with people who are really admirable people I admire and look up to. So recently like Joe DeSena, who is the founder of the Spartan race, he, he just like, casually he likes to do endurance grueling things from the outside it looks like he's doing physical activities but when you meet him it's really about self-awareness and resilience and developing oneself so that's why i as a result of him that's why i'm thinking about. that's why the biking to my mom's house because he lives in vermont which is about 250 miles away so riding to my mom's is practice for that so there's a lot of things now that um i'm choosing to do things like I, I live on the fifth floor of, of my building. There's an elevator because it's a 15-story building. And I almost, like once a year I take the elevator, but generally I take the stairs. But he'll go up a whole mountain, like it's, <laughs> it's a whole other level. And people are notoriously poor. Apparently studies show this, that we think if we want to put ourselves in better mood, we'll go and we'll get a massage or manicure or pedicure and we think, oh, we'll feel better. And then afterward we're like, oh, okay. Or we think, oh, it's the end of a long day. I want to relax in front of the TV, and that'll that'll relax me. And then after we're like, why did I do that? On the contrary, or by contrast, we might say, I want to volunteer at a soup kitchen. And we're like, oh man, this is going to take so much work. And then when we leave, we're like, that was I got to do that more. So Joe's putting in touch with more of these things of like, look for the effort. The effort is oh man, Ryan Holiday wrote this book. I I, I, don't, I doubt he came up with the title. The I mean, the title is The Obstacle is the Way. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had some athletes on recently and being fit is very important to me. Talking to athletes about, you know, professional football players, for example, professional Olympic medalists, they're reaching their potential. They're finding out about themselves. And there's so many places in life where I, I take shortcuts and I always will, but they help me to find where I am and where I can find more myself—that's what it's all—it's—it's uh, it's not what it's, what it's all about. Then the, I don't know if this is me, but I feel it's everyone in in one's relationships with one's mother, one's father, an intimate partner, or um, siblings, nieces and nephews. I don't have any kids of my own. I think those relationships that you know are going to last for your whole life. You're always figuring them out and reinterpreting things from your childhood over here. are Some of the, the second love of my life. I have the trinkets and things like little, the little watercolor painting that she painted me and -hmm. some love notes and things like that. This is from mid nineties, early to mid nineties. I think it's time to let go and put them to recycle them and put them back into like, it's, that was important for me for a long time. And I'll probably, I, we haven't been in touch for a long, long time, but I'll probably email her and take pictures of the things and say, look, if you want them, they're yours. I mean, you painted this picture. Maybe if you want it, it's yours. Um, but that kind of relationship, finding one's insecurities, owning up to them, those kinds of things are a constant struggle. They're always rewarding, but you. I mean, I, for one, consistently want to give up and feel like what's the point and yet these are the important things and when you get the more stuff to get rid of the more you come face to face with your relationships with yourself and with others i sent a i sent this there's a person in my life and we're getting closer and i sent this email saying like look this is these are all these weird things about me. You got to know. <laughs> disclaimer, this is all about me. Sign up to this, this, this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a disclaimer. It, it, was, it was really like, um, people who know me know I do my calisthenics every morning, every evening. And part of why I do them is because if you go to the gym, it costs money, you've got to go outside in the rain. And, and then you got to have all these workout clothes that you might have to, might have to uh, wash all the time. And that's like a big pain in the butt. So I like exercising at home. So when you're exercising at home, you don't have to like, I can wear my dirty workout clothes and I don't have to, you know, or i just rinse them out. And, and then eventually you start working out in your underwear and then eventually you start working out naked. And that makes a lot of sense. But and you get, if you get closer, as you get closer to people, it's like, do I want people to see me working out naked? And so these are these odd things about oneself <laughs> that, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a single guy, I'm approaching 50 years old there's a lot of things that I don't, I probably don't notice. It just seemed normal to me that probably like in internet language, (laughs) I've reached the stage of like very few V fucks given. (laughs) And and so, yeah, I don't know what it's like for other people. Like if we spend time together, if someone else really likes going to restaurants and I'm just going to be there, like not eating. Is that weird? I don't know. Mm. So I got a lot of weird things that I, um, or quirky things, let's say, Hmm. I don't know how they're going to come out. I don't know. know.
0: But moving towards that process of doing the difficult things and saying the difficult things and being more authentic with yourself as you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, with the exercise, it's difficult with the personal things. It's more like um, shame and, and, and feeling silly. I mean, changing it from silly, embarrassed to silly, like playful or um, there's a lot of emotions in there that are like, the emotions I call slippery. Like when you feel shame, when you feel happy, you're like, tell the world you're happy. Some emotions like around shame and anxiety, you feel like, oh, even I don't want to know that. Like it it slips out of your mind before you notice. So those are, that's why it's so hard to escape addictions, for example. It's like you feel shame and you, you don't want to face it. So you'd rather just not do what makes you face it, not try. So those aren't hard. It's, it's, it's a different challenge.
0: I guess that at the risk of sounding trite, um, the people who love and care about you are going to accept all of you. And no matter how quirky, uh, we will have our weird quirks and things that we do. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't been disowned yet.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so if we could change tack a bit now and, um, I invite all my guests to take on like a bit of a, a personal challenge to do with the environment. So obviously, we've talked a bit about the environment, and it clearly means a lot to you. Um, you've said that it's you find it very beautiful, and you know nature is this uh, this wonderful thing. So, what 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 else does the environment mean to you?
1: So, um, here I have to make a slight shift, uh, a slight I don't know if, correction, but. I find it's not to act on the environment, although that may be a result. It's to act on your environmental values. It's to act on your, what's in your heart and if it affects the environment, great. So to specify the, you know, the environment, it's, it's funny because now I've been working, it's been become a major thing for so long that it's just a huge wealth of things. On my TEDx talk, in my third one, I talked about the sledding hill where I grew up and, that there's a street that I had to cross to get there. And now that street has been widened several times and the access to that park is just not what it used to be. And actually I was going to say, I was going to start talking about that to say like, there's that, but then there's all the, all these other things. And then I think about that. I'm like, Oh, that really sucks. That I don't know if you guys have flexible flyers there, but that was like the brand of the sled here. And I had a flexible flyer sled. Don't remember the last time a flexible flyer was on sale. I, I just don't see them on sale anymore because mm-hmm. there's no snow. I mean, we'll get snow here and there, but it melts in a, within a day or two. I was just talking to one of my guests who, Mary Nestle. she was talking about having plants on her balcony. And in the time, there's some numbering system that the, I don't know, I guess the US government has for like climate, it was like climate number one, climate two, climate three, climate four, depending on the temperature and rainfall and things like that. And she said that New York City has changed climate zones in the past couple decades. That's a huge momentous change. I mean, look at how big the planet is and look at how small a human is in comparison to it. And we've done it. We're changing it. And it's, we're on the, we're, it's like the rate of increase is increasing. So the loss of what for me was, and what from everyone, but for, certainly in my experience, it's like, it's a relaxation. I think people get the mind and body. And if you just concentrate on the mind or you just concentrate on the body and you neglect the other, something's messed up, something's missing. You're gonna be, I think everyone, yeah, I think everyone would say that's out of balance. Maybe some people find balance in only one or only other. And I believe my experience over the past several years has told me that nature is, there's three legs to that stool and nature is just as integral to an integrated life. You can get rid of a lot of things, but fresh fruits and vegetables, Get rid of that if you don't have a lot of trees around you if you don't have some plants growing in your apartment and we are decreasing earth's ability to sustain life in human society so i think of what these joyful things in my childhood sledding being one of them and i see the direction that we're moving in and there's a joy that i know is available And and I see it decreasing and it looks like the decreasing is accelerating. So there's things I like tinged with apprehension, fear, dread of where it might go. Okay. So. Did I get too serious? (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) I mean, the reason I'm doing all of what I'm doing is to, you know, miss the iceberg
0: yeah 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 there will be serious consequences if we don't do something radically different and live our lives radically different and have different ways of interpreting happiness joy pick-me-ups absolutely is there something then and um this is an invitation at your option that you can think of to come up with to do something that would help you to act on the nature and and the thing that you care about with the environment. It doesn't have to be, um, you don't don't have to fix all the world's problems overnight. It can be big, it can be small, uh, but something that is meaningful to you and something that you have not yet done. So something new and where there could be a a, a physical or measurable effect.
1: Yes. And, you know, I have to preface that now that I, I I ask a lot of people this and a lot of people come back to me and say, I'm already doing all these things. What more? And I've made this shift in my life having interviewed or asked this, given this invitation to so many people that I found that, um, so many of them go from, oh, uh, what, what is there to do to afterward saying, oh, I really enjoyed it, that I've made the shift in my life that it's no longer, I don't have to steward. I get to steward. And so I've been playing around with this in my head involuntarily in anticipation of, of our conversation, partly because me training all these people, I, I, people keep coming back to me and asking me this invitation. And I keep, it's the opposite of, of people who are like, look, I'm already doing enough. I'm already, do- look, I got a solar powered car. What more do you want from me? And I'm like, what more do I want from you? This is a, this is an opportunity. It's like but an excitement. People, people don't get that. And I've got that. So I'm like thinking like what I could do. And the weather has started. It's not quite fall here. Or maybe I think it's just fall in a couple of days. And last December, I gave myself this little challenge. Because I'd heard about, I you know, I'd started learning how to ferment. And I heard that in the West, we use refrigerators. In other places, they often use fermentation to keep stuff if, if there's a winter season to keep things through when, when things don't grow so much. So last winter and also in the winter since I'm only buying local stuff there's not a lot of greens. So I'm getting mostly root vegetables and a lot of uh, dried beans and things like that. So they don't go bad. So in late December I was just looking at my I was thinking like how can I use less power in my apartment and I was like I wonder if I could go without the fridge for a while. They do that in other countries. So at first, I started planning, like, mm, what can I, like, maybe I'll figure this out. And then I was like, ah, that planning is what always slows me down. So I just walked over and unplugged the fridge, then and there. <laughs> and I made it until the pandemic started. Actually, and then I went to live with my mom for, for a while. So it was off the entire time when I was there. So I had it off for like three, four, five, six months. And as the weather got cooler, I thought, I wonder when, I, when I'll try turning off the fridge. And I was thinking December. But then I thought, oh, I'm going to be talking to Allison. And... It might be a little early to unplug it now because I got stuff that could go bad, but I'm gonna be at my mom's house for a while. It's gonna take me a day to go up, a day to come back. I'll probably just be there for a day in the middle. So that's three days. So I wanna turn off my fridge for at least a week and see how long I can go. Cause that was a fun little experiment. You know, I end up putting stuff on my windowsill where it's cooler and finding ways to eat so that I don't, it's like a little game to see how long I can go without using the fridge. So, yeah. And now part of me is thinking, can I make it from September all the way to December, which will carry me out through the winter. I don't know, but that seems like something I could do. And so I was thinking if I started it, I might be able to start it right away, but a week without using the, at least a week without with, with the fridge unplugged.
0: And to clarify, sorry, is that when you are in the house or because you said you'd be away with your mom and oh, dad? Yeah, I want
1: to take advantage of, of being outside the house. So it'll probably be when I'm at, I was trying to think if I should do it the day before I go to my mom's house because I'm, I'm, I'm slated to ride there Thursday. Tuesday is when I pick up my vegetables from the CSA. I, every week I go to walk over to the drop off and I pick up a, a bunch of vegetables. So I'd probably start it depending on what vegetables I get on Tuesday. So maybe starting next Wednesday.
0: Okay. So start next Wednesday, turn your fridge off for a minimum of a week. Yeah. Part of the time you'll be at your mom's house. Then you'll come back and then after a week you can see like reevaluate yeah yeah okay
1: that's really exciting yeah i mean what's going to happen is i'm going to pay more attention to my cooking and eating it's not i'm not going to suffer it's not going to be like oh what am i going to do and then i'll probably learn to cook something that i didn't know how to make before
0: yeah can we then have a catch up um, after that to find out a bit more about how it went? And if you have uh, cooked any new, exciting recipes, would that be okay to schedule a follow-up conversation?
1: Yeah. I'll be curious to to share. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Josh. I think that's probably enough um, for today, but it's been really wonderful chatting to you and I really enjoyed having you be my first guest and learning more about your lifestyle you are an inspiration and it's not um, an overstatement for me to say that meeting you my encounter with you has been life-changing and it certainly opened up a different part of my life and the way I view the world so I want to say thank you on a personal level as well
1: well you're making me blush and Mm -hmm. I'm honored and I'm flattered and I can't wait to see what comes of this podcast and the types of guests that you have and I suspect if you change half as much as I change myself in the process, it'll be, I think a wonderful transformation to hear about. And I, I think if you said, thank you, I'll say you're welcome if you said it, but it really, thank you. Cheers to a new adventure. adventure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What an interesting conversation with an interesting person, I guess. Some of my key takeaways from it is this idea, obviously, of having um, adventure and things that we might think of as constraints, i.e. not flying, actually can maximise your experience and enjoyment. Um, And also the notion of having an adventure to get to an adventure, rather than just kind of turning up at the airport. And having that be something that you, a process that you go through to get to a country. What if you can do something as part of that exciting travel experience before you even get to the travel? So I think that's quite cool. I'm definitely going to have to think about those concepts more. The other thing that I thought was interesting was this notion of when I called Josh extreme... Whoops. (laughs) Whoops. <laughs> and he told me that actually he, he views himself as, you know, moderate. And um, we had this discussion about what is moderate, what is extreme. And this idea that actually you can rebalance yourself. And so what you might think is the end of a particular spectrum is at the middle of another one. Uh, that was a bit of a, a head scratcher, mind blower for me. Um, and The other thing that I wanted to say about the conversation was a quote that Josh said, something along the lines of, stewarding that beauty for others means that if I don't get to see Machu Picchu, that doesn't bother me anymore. And this nature of, I I, I don't know if it's extreme, like selflessness or altruism or kindness which was really overwhelming because many people, myself included, are probably thinking more about your own experience and your own um, wants and desires of going to see whatever tourist destination trap that is and just kind of letting go of that and instead, focusing and prioritizing other people. And that was really powerful for me. Um, Lastly, I guess just to highlight, I said to Josh at the end, thank you for changing my life. And it's not an overstatement for me to say that. Before I met Josh, I was very much about mind and body, and enjoying and improving both. And he's shown me that there is a third, a third leg to the stool, as he calls it, which is this joy of nature, which is this environment. And I obviously have an appreciation of the environment from the aesthetic side. It's very beautiful. Nature is incredible. But what I didn't have is a understanding of how my behavior impacts the environment, And when we talk about the climate crisis, actually, I do have a role to play. I always thought that because I don't have children, because I recycle, I'm I'm doing what I can do. And instead, Josh has shown me that there are lots of ways that I can act on my values and benefit the environment, even if some of them might, to me, seem small. So for example, maybe the next time that I, uh, need to buy some shampoo. I won't buy it in a plastic bottle. I will buy it in a shampoo bar. And, you know, that thought would never have crossed my mind before speaking to Josh. And now I look around and see in my daily life, what I do and the, the impact that I have on the environment. And it doesn't mean I'm going to change everything. It doesn't mean that, um, I am ready, I suppose, to make, um, well, I was going to say a sacrifice, but Josh would say it wouldn't be called a sacrifice. It would be called an exciting challenge, (laughs) or at least that's how it would be perceived at the end. But I guess having that extra awareness and opening up that different insight into the world has been something that's been truly life-changing. Anyway, enough of my rambling. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, the first episode of my podcast. Um, please, you know, do all those things, subscribe, leave me a message, leave me a review, and I hope to see you next time.